As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for joining us on the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson. And before we start today's episode, just a quick reminder that you can discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. We are taking a short break from our series focusing on Professor Alistair McGrath's wonderful seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, to celebrate our 100th episode of this C.S. Lewis podcast. So exciting. We've reached 100 episodes. And on that note, please do get in touch. You can drop us an email, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. That's unbelievable at premier.org.uk to let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. Well, Alistair, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and congratulations for reaching the 100th episode. Yes, it's amazing. I've had so many people write to me and say how much they enjoyed these. So it's it's really good and clearly it's been really helpful to lots of people. Yeah, well, it's an absolute pleasure to do this and thank you so much for all of your incredible time that you've given up and all of the research that you've done and just a tiny little overview of some of the things we've done since we launched in March 2020. 21. We've done a kind of deep dive into some of Lewis's books, such as Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia. We've touched on a lot more in a sort of lesser detail. So some of his shorter books, his essays, some of his popular Christian books. We've covered all sorts of topics from friendship to AI and technology, to mental health, to culture, to story, to sex, to art. I mean, in some senses, you name it, we've covered it. And as well as your expertise, Alistair, we've had some great contributions from other guests such as Michael Ward, Sharon Dirks, Malcolm Geit, Trevin Wax and um, a young guy who I really enjoyed interviewing called Joshua Carras who has written what he calls as a, a kind of appropriation of the Screwtape Letters written for a modern audience which was quite interesting. And obviously a, a, a personal highlight of mine is, is the series that we're currently in at the moment which is, uh, which is focusing on your biography C.S. Lewis Alive which I can't believe it's been 10 years since it came out, but I'm so enjoying hearing aspects of Lewis's life and how that has impacted his theology and his writing. But Alistair, I don't know if you have a particular highlight from the show so far. Well, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing is is going into some of Lewis's more obscure works and really bringing out what's there. I think one of the things that very often people are very glad to have someone talk them through something because then they go and read it for themselves and they really they really get much more out of it. So I think it's great to be able to give people, if you like, this entry point there 
almost like somebody saying, here's what I found. Go and read it and see what you find. I think that works really well. Well, I think that's what I've so enjoyed about this series that we're in at the moment, where you've been talking people through various aspects of Lewis's life and how that's impacted some of his writings and, as you say, some of the lesser known things. Now, Alistair, one of the questions I was going to ask you was, have you learned anything over this series? But given that you are one of the world's leading experts in this area, I mean, you probably knew everything already. So I suppose a better question might be to ask you, is there anything that has kind of struck you afresh as you've revisited some of these things? I think one of the things that has struck me again and again and again is just how articulate, how accessible Lewis is. And very often um, when I'm reading Lewis in preparation for these podcasts or indeed for lectures, I suddenly find myself thinking, this man really writes very well. You know, he's got some brilliant ideas. And actually, when someone's that good, it's very, very easy to talk about him. And again, you remember Lewis himself would always say, "Um, I'm, I'm trying to show you what I have seen. And again, with Lewis, it's just really saying, look, um, here's what I found in Lewis. Go and find it for yourself and you'll find more as you do it. So Lewis is a very, very easy person to introduce. Well, I, for one, have learned so much. And I'm sure everyone listening would also say that. And I'd love to actually hear if, if there's particular moments that have struck people. So do get in touch to let us know that. Um, but but for me, it feels like there's so many topics that we've kind of uh, covered where actually we're just kind of scratching the surface. And it feels like with almost every episode we've done, there is lots more to unpack. So hopefully we can do a hundred more podcasts in the future and go into sort of greater detail on some of those things. But I guess it seems appropriate as we're celebrating the 100th episode and we're kind of in this moment of celebration and and looking at all the wonderful things that Lewis has done sort of past and present and and looking to the future of of kind of the way that he's impacting people going forward. Um, One of the questions we sort of were, were talking about was how Lewis can help with the renewal of the church. But I guess, Alistair, before we sort of dive into what Lewis would have thought about that, why do we think the church needs renewal? And, and would Lewis have thought that as well? Well, I think Lewis felt the church always needs renewal and in fact saw himself as playing a quite quite significant role in that in his own distinctive way. I think what we need to say is the church always needs renewal, always needs a new injection of energy. And that's why people like C.S. Lewis are so important because in effect, they're saying, look, it's not just a question of believing in the creeds. It's a question of realizing the difference these make to the way we imagine our world, to the way we understand ourselves, to the way we live our lives. I think one thing that Lewis can really help us with, as we think about the idea of the renewal of the churches, is in effect giving us a fresh vision of what Christianity is. Something that captures the imagination, something that really makes us say, this is so exciting. And that, I think, is something we do need at the moment. I feel that... um, Many churches have got lost a little bit in terms of getting um, involved in all kinds of very interesting discussions, but which don't really engage the deep questions people are concerned with. And Lewis really does that in a very accessible and engaging way. So Lewis, for me, is the patron saint of renewal of Christianity throughout the world, and we can learn so much from him. I love that patron saint of renewal. How can Lewis help us with the renewal of the church? I guess with a, with a capital C, because although Lewis came from an Anglican stable, he has very much a wide appeal among Christians of many denominations, doesn't he? 
Well, he does. I mean, everyone loves Lewis, uh, and um, Lewis is great for interdenominational um, conversations because everyone likes him. Everyone finds something in him. So he's a great guy to um, talk about. So when we're talking about the renewal of the church, we just mean churches in general. I think here's two things I think Lewis really says that are important. One is tell stories. You know, Christianity is about the story of God entering into our world and redeeming us and changing our individual stories. And Lewis is wonderful at showing how stories are there to help us deepen our understanding of our own faith and also to help us understand um, how to talk about people outside the church. And Lewis is saying, look, don't give doctrinal lectures to people outside the church. Tell them stories about the difference Christianity makes, and it will capture their imagination. That's one thing. The second thing Lewis says, and I think this is really important, is that Christianity is not simply about minor adjustments to the way you think. It's about, if you like, a complete reimagination of life, seeing it in a new way, beginning to realize that you matter, you make a difference, and Lewis is so good at bringing that out. And for me, there are a lot of Christians who say, well, I believe in Christianity, and it stops there. And Lewis is saying, no, no, go further, get excited about it, see how it changes the way you, you talk about your faith, the way it, you, you, you describe your life. And to me, that's something we really need to do. So I suppose in some senses, he's suggesting that if you are a Christian, it should make a difference to every part of your life. I think that's right, to your reason, to your imagination, to your sense of morality. Really, Christianity is one of those things that just saturates your life. And we need to realize that um, a Christ-saturated life, if you like, is a very helpful way of thinking about renewal. Yeah, and I suppose in some senses, if everyone was living like that, we would see renewal in the church. But uh, this might be a really difficult question to answer in light of the fact that you said that Lewis sort of thought renewal needs to be happening constantly. But what do you think renewal would look like for Lewis? What would a church renewed look like? Well, Lewis himself didn't really talk about this very much. So we're kind of way basing ourselves on what he did say and then kind of way extrapolating that. But I think Lewis would, would really want to talk about having grasped Christianity, not simply in our minds, but in our hearts and in our imaginations. I think that's something really important because, in effect, for Lewis, that is when Christianity really is at its optimal, where it really, really changes us for, into what we are meant to be. So I think Lewis is really inviting us to allow the gospel to transform us, not simply in the way we think, but the way we behave, the way we imagine, the stories that we tell. And of course, I think Lewis would also say, look, don't rely on me too much. I mean, I, I'm just one voice. There, there are other people to look at. But I would say, nevertheless, Lewis is a very good person to begin with for this very important task. Now, some people believe that survival and growth of the church depends on orthodox theology. I guess one question would be, what would Lewis mean by orthodox theology? But then I guess significantly, what would Lewis's response be to that? Would he think that that is true, that the survival and the growth depends on, I guess, a return or a consistency of orthodox theology? I think that's a very good question. And Lewis's answer, I think, is really quite simple. Yes, it does depend on an orthodox theological foundation. But, and there's a very big but coming, but that's not good enough in itself. 
You need to be able to express this, to embody this, to enact this, to live this out, to in effect show the difference that this makes. It's all about telling the story of your life, the story of the church, and how this can change other people's story. And the difficulty is that very often we think of orthodoxy in rather rational or creedal ways. And Lewis would say, no, no, it's about changing stories. It's about capturing imaginations. It is based on solid theology, but it goes way beyond this. My concern is that many people I know who are talking about um, renewal on the basis of theological orthodoxy is that they draw the line there and stop. And Lewis says we've got to go further than that. We've got to show how orthodoxy, in effect, affects everything and live this out. And so, for Lewis, would orthodox theology be sort of some of the things that he expresses in mere Christianity, those kind of basics of Christianity, or would it be something different from that? Well, I think mere Christianity is really an exercise in accessible orthodox Christianity. Um, Lewis does not make much of the idea of orthodoxy, but it's there. Mere actually, in many ways, just means orthodox. You know, and that's a very important point. I think one of the things that Lewis does in that book so well is to emphasize this makes sense. This makes a difference. And this is something you can talk about. I've given you some examples, he says. Look look at the analogies I give in mere Christianity. Go and do better. Use mine if you have to, but you can do better than this. And I think that that really is something very important. You know something? I, I think Lewis ought to be a set text in every theological seminary in the world because it will teach them how to, how to be articulate, how to be accessible. And we really need that. You've spoken there about this kind of transformed life and that being a really significant thing for Lewis in terms of revival if, if people are living in these transformed lives. I guess for someone like Lewis who came from atheism to Christianity, there was a very significant change in his life and that would be the case for anyone who sort of had a former life and then became a Christian. What would that look like, though, for someone who perhaps has grown up in the church and just sort of gradually, bit by bit, drawn closer to God and sort of developed on their faith journey in terms of there not being such a sort of distinctive transformation in their life? What what would that look like for for people in those situations, Alistair? Because there must be huge numbers of people who are in that situation. I think, again, that's a very good question. And certainly Lewis would say that we're all different. And Lewis tells his own story. I moved from atheism to Christianity. Therefore, that that equips me to be an apologist because I can get inside the mind and the skins of atheists and say things that will really help them move on. But Lewis is perfectly aware not everyone has that backstory. And I think Lewis's point would simply be, as in the Chronicles of Narnia, you take what God has given you and you make the best of it. So if you've been an atheist who became a Christian, you have a very powerful story to tell, which may speak more to some people than others. But if you're someone who's grown up in in the faith and loves it and has absorbed it, you have a different story to tell, but that will speak really to other people. And Lewis doesn't know the call of the first disciples by Lake Galilee, where uh, Christ says to them, I will make you fishers of people. They were fishermen, now they're fishing for people. In other words, I'm asking you to take your past and use it in the service of the gospel. And in many ways, what Lewis is asking is, what is your backstory? 
how does that equip you to talk about something particularly important to a particular group of people? Understand yourself and then ask, how can I speak helpfully to people who might like to hear what I have to say? Alistair, we've spoken quite a lot there about the power of story and a transformed life. And I guess one of the other things that is particularly appealing for for Lewis is that not only does he engage with people's intellectual capacity and, and what they're thinking, he also very much appeals to people's emotions and feelings. And that's a very much a part of the Christian story for him. Now, there may be some Christians who are perhaps a little bit nervous of this because of the lapse towards kind of emotionalism and things like that. How would Lewis respond to that? And how do you think he makes connections between the gospel and our inner worlds? I think that's a very important point because certainly some people will say, oh, engaging emotions, as you say, that's emotionalism. But hey, using reason can easily become rationalism, depending excessively on this. And what Lewis is saying is there's a proper, there's a legitimate way of using reason, the imagination, our feelings to help us grow in our faith and explain to others and connect with them. And it's all about balance. Here's what Lewis would say, I think, that Christianity is giving us this big picture. Remember that very famous quote at the end of his Socratic Cub lecture when he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Lewis is giving us a framework which allows us to understand why people feel in certain ways and how that can be redirected and refocused to lead them to God. So Lewis is not depending on feelings or emotions. He's saying this Christian framework allows us to understand emotions and redirect them towards God. So it's very important there. And I think the key point to make is Lewis is giving a proper place for reason, for the imagination, for feelings, for stories. And we've got to find out what that is and work out how we can use that effectively. Now, renewal of the church obviously impacts everyone and it can be done by people lay or ordained, whatever that looks like. And obviously Lewis was a layman. But there are people who feel a specific calling to ordained ministry or to preaching or to evangelism, whatever that looks like. Now, what would Lewis have? What does he have to say to preachers today, do you think? Do you think there's still relevance in in his approach to things? Well, I think there is. I mean, Lewis always emphasised that he was a lay person. He saw it as being very important because it meant he had no vested interest in um, the what he was saying. He's saying this from my heart. It's not because I'm supporting an institution. It's because I found something I want you to find. But Lewis, I would also say how important clergy, preachers, all these things are because they are the people who are going to encourage, enable, teach, and resource ordinary Christians. And I think Lewis himself was a very able preacher to judge from the sermons I have read. And I think that what Lewis would really want to do is say how important preaching is as a way of, in effect, commending and exciting people about the gospel. And so I think Lewis would really, I think, want to encourage preachers and perhaps help them to see how a good sermon engages reason, the imaginations, the emotion. In other words, it connects across the full gamut of human experience and existence. 
Now, what do you think Lewis would want to say to the church with a capital C today? Let's let's say we somehow managed to gather every single member of the, the church, I guess, the, the nationwide church, the global church. What would Lewis want to say, do you think, to the church today? I suspect he might give quite a long address to the church of today. But here, I think, is one point which would be part of that. I think it's quite an important point. Um, don't, don't fixate on difference. Realize what you have in common, because that is actually what really matters. And that's why Lewis brought in that phrase, mere Christianity, which he borrows, of course, from Richard Baxter. And the key point Lewis is making is this is what really matters. Sure, you can add on bits and pieces if you want to, and that's great. But what really matters is the heartbeat of faith, what stands at its center. And Lewis would be a very good example of someone who says, look, let us focus on the heartbeat of faith, because that is what's going to renew the church. And that's what's going to help people to come together with a shared vision, a shared hope. And the danger is that so often Christians fragment over issues which are not actually of central importance. And Lewis, I think, would feel very disturbed by that and feel there's something we ought to be rethinking. And I guess on the flip side, it's one thing him speaking to the church and having a message to the church. If he was placed in an increasingly secular society that we kind of see today, and I'm not not saying it was not at all secular when Lewis was speaking there clearly was that but I think there's probably a sense in which actually the skepticism and the secularization has become even more advanced than it was in Lewis's day if Lewis was um, faced with people from this society what do you think he'd want to say to them I think what Lewis does is not simply give us his own advice but give us a toolkit which enables us to if you like transfer what he said to very different social contexts I think one of the key elements of Lewis's toolkit is to learn the language of our audience, to try and understand what they're thinking, what their anxieties are, what their aspirations are, and then speak into that situation. In other words, translating gospel realities into their situation. Now, Lewis did that in his own ways back in the 1940s. Today, I think it would be done rather differently, but the toolkit that Lewis is giving us is good. It works. We just need to make sure we're applying it to today, not being trapped in the past. And are there any resources that Lewis wrote uh, that we could sort of find out more about this, about renewal, but also about this kind of toolkit for engaging with the secular society, do you think? Well, I think Lewis's uh, major writings, particularly mere Christianity, are written to try and not simply encourage Christians, but to say to them, look, maybe you could do this too. Maybe you could, in effect, find a way of connecting up with our increasingly secularized culture and make important connections. I think that is something very important. But here's another point. Lewis very often looks back to the past and says, look, I'm reading Athanasius, I'm reading Dante, and I could now have part of that past and say, look, these guys may be the past, but they just help us to speak to our present right now. Well, Alistair, as we come to the end of our 100th episode, I guess we've talked a little bit about what what Lewis from the past could say to us, but I'm going to flip that. Do you think there's anything that you would want to say to C.S. Lewis if he was plonked in front of you today? I would love to know. Um, what he thought about being Irish, because he and I have that in common. 
because I think I think it, it, it does shape you in a certain way. But hey, not everybody else is going to be interested in that. The, the really important thing I would want to do if I was talking to C.S. Lewis is say, A, thank you. And B, what else would you have written that we need to know about? Because I'm sure there are other books in C.S. Lewis's mind that never made it into print. Well, we have done a whole episode on his Irishness, which I really enjoyed. So people can check that out. But Alistair, thank you so much for all of your time and huge congratulations for us reaching 100 episodes. And and here's to 100 more, eh? It sounds good to me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from the wonderful Professor Alistair McGrath, author of C.S. Lewis, A Life. Do get in touch and let us know if there are any topics that you'd like us to cover on the show. You can drop us an email, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. And don't forget, you can discover more about C.S. Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>